Hello and welcome to episode 13 of the Tata Cancer podcast. I'm your host, Junie Boucher, and today we're going to be talking to Morgan Adams, who is a holistic sleep coach for women. She's also actually a two-time breast cancer survivor and a former insomniac turned an accredited health coach with advanced certifications in sleep science. So she really knows her stuff and she's got some really interesting stories to tell. So I think you're going to love it. I can't wait to get into the interview. And, you know, she's also just a wonderful person, a busy lady. She is a well-sought-after podcast guest and a regular contributor to websites like Mind Body Green. So I appreciate it that she made time to to talk to us today. And I think you're really going to get a lot out of the information that we cover. So, you know, what else is going on? Just a, just some updates on my life. Um, speaking of dates... I do have a fun date coming up this weekend that I'm very excited about. And uh, yeah, just uh, living the life, <laughs> living the dream here out in LA. And I am enjoying the spring weather. I'm hoping to get out roller skating again soon. There is a skate park in North Hollywood I want to check out because I've been I've been getting my workout routine a little bit more dialed in I kind of got a little off track for a bit and uh, feels so good I just consistent exercise and the thing that's great about it is you know you don't have to wreck yourself doing tons and tons of workouts or I don't at least um, that's a lesson I had to learn kind of the hard way but um yeah, just being consistent. I've been doing some strength training, a little bit of high intensity interval training and yoga. And I am working on my headstand or my handstand. It's coming along. You know, we're not quite there yet, but it's coming along. Um, What else is going on? Oh, I just wanted to thank everybody who's reached out to me after the previous episode about tamoxifen. I think I mentioned in that episode, I was nervous about it because, you know, I talk a lot about my own experience and my choice that's not been super popular with my doctor to discontinue taking tamoxifen. And again, you know, that's such a personal decision, but I think it needs to be acknowledged that, you know, up to 50%, this was the statistic that I read that up to 50% of women who are prescribed tamoxifen go off of it before the um, five or 10 year timeline hits. So for anybody that's reached out to me and uh, let me know that they appreciated that, I, I appreciate you. And it's been so great talking to people and just kind of starting this conversation. I did create a resource for people that you can download. I'll put the link in the show notes. You can also get it off of my social media or my website. It's called the Facts and Feelings Workbook for Tamoxifen. And it basically just provides information that you can discuss. You can get information from your doctor. You can talk to your doctor about it, but also get in touch with your own feelings, you know, and uh, decide what you're going to do moving forward. Because if you have a plan moving forward, whether it's a plan to minimize the side effects, which diet and lifestyle can have a huge, huge impact on that. And also, if you decide that you're not going to take tamoxifen for whatever personal reason you've decided, what is your plan then? Because having a plan helps give you peace of mind. And I think that's really important. It's important to advocate for yourself. It's important to be in touch with yourself and um, just really look at things in a holistic way. You know, that's sort of my jam here. But whatever your choice is around that, I hope you know everybody is welcome here. I believe that respect for personal choices is is very important. So without further ado, let's talk to Morgan. She's really got some great things to say. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tata Cancer Podcast, where we will discuss the physical and mental elements of healing from a breast cancer diagnosis. My name is Junie Boucher. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and a breast cancer survivor. 
When you're diagnosed with breast cancer, you're forced to make life-changing decisions with so much information that's really hard to sift through. My intention is to help provide you with the information you need to make a decision that's going to align your body, mind, and heart so that you can live your best life going forward. I'm gonna be your new breast friend. (laughs) Okay, let's do this. The information contained in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice. Please always consult with your doctor for any of your medical needs. So thank you so much for being here today, Morgan. I am really excited to talk to you. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for inviting me to come on your podcast. Absolutely. I'm, I'm excited that you're here. I think this is going to be really beneficial information for people. And I don't think it gets talked about a ton. So, um, before we get into all the specifics with the sleep stuff, you are a breast cancer survivor, correct? I am not once, but twice. (laughs) Really? Okay. Well, well, tell us your, tell us your story. Sure. Well, the, I'll start with the first one. We'll go in chronological order. Um, <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> November of 2018, I um, was diagnosed with um, invasive ductal carcinoma stage one estrogen mm-hmm. receptor positive. And um, I spent, well, I'll, I'll share the story of how I got diagnosed because it's, mm-hmm. it's, you've probably never heard this one before. <laughs> Oh, okay. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a different one. It's kind of a, a zinger. Um, my husband and I were in uh, Jamaica on vacation, um, Mm -hmm. a few months prior to my diagnosis. And at this particular resort the year prior, my mother passed away while we were at the resort Mm. and we were here at this time, 2018 at her one year anniversary. And my husband actually is a medium. Um, not by trade. He just has a gift. And I asked him at that point um, during the vacation, if he had any messages from mom, you know, just, can you tap into that? And he, he got into his state that he gets in and he said, he delivered some messages from mom and the one that resonated. And the one that I didn't forget was when he said, your mom is mentioning that you should get your left breast examined. (gasps) And I went, huh, that's weird because three months ago I had a mammogram that turned out just fine. So I don't understand what this is about. And he said, look, I'm just delivering the message from your mom. You do with it what you will. So fast forward to the end of the vacation, I get home and I um, call my doctor uh, to ask for a mammogram. And they gave me the runaround because they were like, you just had one three months ago. So I had to go to my OB um, have her do the, uh, physical exam. And I just kind came right out with it. Like why I'm here, I'm here because there uh-huh. is something wrong. Um, and I need to have it looked at. So she was, um, open-minded enough to my story to refer me to, um, get the mammogram. Did the you mammogram. tell her? Uh, I did. Like the I told tr- her, yeah. I told her the truth. I did. Yeah. And there was actually a small little, uh, lump on my breast that had been there for years but I kind of use that as an excuse to like, be like, Oh, look at this lump, you know? Right. So, um, she, you know, wrote the order for the mammogram and then the mammogram did not really show much of anything. I have dense breasts, mm-hmm. so it's very hard to often see a, a lump with, with dense breast. But I said to them, um, I want you to take me to the next step, you know, of this Mm -hmm. diagnostic process, which I believe at that time was um, an ultrasound. And they saw Mm -hmm. something a little strange, but they kind of dismissed it. And I Mm -hmm. said, keep going, keep going. Mm -hmm. So the next step was an MRI and they did, they ended up doing an MRI guided biopsy and diagnosed me there. So they were actually very shocked that I had the the cancer Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm just very glad that, you know, a, um, my husband was able to receive that message from my mother and B that, um, I just kept pushing because I, I knew yeah. something was wrong and just on an intuitive level from that message. And so that's how I ended up with the diagnosis. So I just got shivers. I've yeah. had like, I've been <laughs> getting goosebumps like this yeah. whole time. That is, yeah. It gives me goosebumps wow. too, to tell it to this day. Yeah. So So there we are at the, uh, 
news of the diagnosis, um, very shocked, very upset. Um, and the, the surgeon who I went to per, per their recommendation advised that I either have a mastectomy and tamoxifen or a lumpectomy and radiation. And both of those seemed like options that I wasn't interested in. And the reason why is because I came, came at this with somewhat of a personal bias because my, my mother, who I referred to earlier and her passing, she, she died of metastatic breast cancer. She, oh, wow. she had gone through a breast cancer journey for many years and she was on, um, all sorts of treatments, uh, mm -hmm. chemo, tamoxifen, and she did not do well with those treatments. So, mm -hmm. and also in addition to that, my father had chemo, um, for his colon cancer at age 48 and he passed away. So mm -hmm. my personal bias was, you know, these treatments make you very sick. Yeah. <laughs> and so I just did not really want to pursue those treatments yet. I didn't know what to do. You know, I didn't know mm -hmm. what else was, was there. Um, then about two weeks after the diagnosis, my husband and I went to a conference in California, sort of like a personal development conference. And we saw across the room of this big conference hall, um, Sean Stevenson, a very well-known podcaster who has a podcast called the model health show, mm -hmm. one of the most popular health podcasts around. And my husband said, we've got to go introduce ourselves to him. And I was like, I'm, I'm nervous. He's famous, you know? So <laughs> we, we made our way over to uh, introduce ourselves to Sean. And my husband just said, Sean Morgan was just diagnosed with breast cancer. And he just, you know, he, Sean was <clears throat> extremely warm. And basically what he said was, you have time. You don't, don't feel like you have to rush into a decision. You do have time. And I would encourage you to Google integrative cancer care. So that mm -hmm. was sort of my next step is starting to look online for integrative cancer care. I didn't see like a whole lot, but while I was at this conference, I got a call from an acquaintance who shared with me that one of her former coworkers had had um, an early stage breast cancer and went to a clinic in Cancun, Mexico, and she was treated successfully for her cancer there. Mm -hmm. So I was connected to this friend I heard this this woman's story. Her name is Anne. She told me about this clinic called Hope for Cancer, where you stay for three weeks and you get, um, I guess, integrative kind of non-traditional therapies for mm -hmm. six days a week. And I researched it online and did my due diligence. And after I did my research and heard her story, I felt at peace. I felt like this is where mm -hmm. I need to go. Like this is, I, I felt like th this is it for me. Mm -hmm. So my husband and I packed up and a couple months later, um, went off to Cancun, um, to this treatment facility again, three weeks of very, mm -hmm. very intensive treatments. And then I came home from that three week, um, stay and did a home protocol where mm -hmm. I was doing lots of supplements and continuing some of the treatments they had set me up with at the clinic. And I um, came back three months later after the initial treatment to get some follow-up tests. And I was very discouraged with, um, with my end result. And the mm -hmm. end result was that my tumor had not shrunk at all. And I was very disheartened because I felt like I'd put in the work um, certainly it was a lot, it, a lot of work that went on. And, um, the good news though, is that my blood work was much better. So my white blood cells were better. My immune function was better, but still that damn tumor was still there. Mm -hmm. I did not want it to be there. So I ended up just watching the tumor. I went home and, um, every few months I would get a, an ultrasound and it, there it was still sitting there. So, um, probably it was September of 2019, I ended up deciding to get a lumpectomy because mm -hmm. I just wanted it gone. And the lumpectomy was successful. Um, they got all of the tumor, but the surgeon announced to me um, at the follow-up appointment that they found DCIS mm -hmm. right up against the original tumor. And she suggested that we go in again with another lumpectomy to get everything out. Mm -hmm. And of course, I was very disenchanted with the idea of another surgery. 
but I decided to go ahead and go, go move forward with the second surgery. So that was mm-hmm. December of 2019. And that, de- that declared me p- cancer-free. I didn't have to do anything mm-hmm. else other than just get those lumpectomies. And did I thought, they prescribe tamoxifen to you? No, they didn't. They didn't. This, no. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because it was um, DCIS. Yeah. Or, well, they uh, actually, they did. Well, so with DCIS, yes, they did not. Mm-hmm. But with the original um, invasive ductal carcinoma, they did want me to do um, right. tamoxifen. Mm-hmm. Um, they also were encouraging me to do radiation, but I did not want it yeah. along with the accompanying treatment with the lumpectomy was radiation. I just didn't right. want to do that. Mm-hmm. So, um, so there I was December of 2019 cancer-free and I had done so much work on myself, cleaned up my lifestyle, just mm. really not kind of went de- detoxed my life, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and I thought, I'll never have cancer again because I've just done everything that I can do to prevent it. And then fast forward to, um, summer of 2021, I was, uh, making an appointment to get my breast implants removed. I'd mm-hmm. had breast implants for 18 years mm-hmm. and it was time for them to come out because I wasn't having breast implant illness symptoms, mm-hmm. but breast implant plants are not really meant to stay in your body for that long. They're, right. they're it's like a 10 year like, thing. I thought, right. Yeah, I was well past the expiration date. <laughs> yeah. So I decided to get the implants out mm-hmm. and not have any put back in, um, as a prerequisite to that surgery, they wanted me to have a mammogram just mm-hmm. to make sure everything was clear. And because the mammogram missed my first cancer, I was very skeptical of getting yeah. another mammogram. Um, and I almost got a waiver to get out of it. Mm-hmm. but I'm glad I didn't. Uh, I just decided to go, go ahead and get the <clears throat> mammogram because better safe than sorry. Right. Mm-hmm. Let's just make sure. Mm-hmm. So when I went to get the mammogram, the radiologist said, you know, there was no mistaking it. What they, what he saw on the, on the screen was just clusters of DCIS all over the other mm-hmm. breast, not the, the same breast, breast the other Got breast. It. Okay. Um, and you know, at that point I kind of flipped out. <laughs> Sure. I said a couple f bombs to him, not to him, but just re- in relating to the situation. Like right. I can't, you know, what believe this? This is happening. Yeah. Um, and so it was sort of like I had to go back, back to the drawing board, and they gave me the same options as before: mm-hmm. either mammogram, uh, sorry, uh, mastectomy or lumpectomy. And mm-hmm. because I did not want to play whack a mole every few years. <laughs> wondering which breast the lump would appear in, I decided to just go ahead and have both breasts removed. Mm -hmm. That was not a very hard decision to make. Um, Mm -hmm. The hard decision was what to do after the surgery. Um, Mm I had thought that maybe I would get reconstruction with implants, Mm -hmm. but then as I thought more about it, I thought that doesn't make sense because you were originally going to get your implants out doesn't make logical sense. So, um, then I started exploring fat transfer Mm -hmm. and I didn't have enough fat to like really get a good transfer. It would have taken like three different trips to Miami and just a bunch of mess. So I decided not to pursue that and just remain flat. And so I had Mm -hmm. that mastectomy November of 2021, Mm -hmm. double mastectomy, double mastectomy. And Mm -hmm. the surgeon called to tell me, Hey, I think you made the right decision because we found DCIS in the other breast. Oh my goodness. So apparently I was just a DCIS factory. Wow. And, um, and you know, so today I'm, I'm cancer-free. I Mm -hmm. recovered from that mastectomy very quickly, Mm -hmm. um, you know, because I've really upgraded my health practices. And so that paid off in a, in a quick recovery. Just, I have a quick question for you. I mean, you know, I, I do love when someone comes on the podcast, who's been through alternative treatments. And, and, you know, I also did like a lot of integrative care. Um, I didn't go quite that extreme on like the holistic stuff, but do you feel, do you have a, like a different opinion or if you were to go back, would you have done something differently knowing that sort of 
the progression of things? I'm just curious. Yeah, that's a great, I've gotten that question a lot and it's, mm-hmm. it's a good one, but if I really think about it, I don't think I would have gone back because mm-hmm. that experience at that clinic of three weeks um, really taught me a lot of practices and mm-hmm. I got um, very, very clear on what I wanted to do for my health to upgrade it. Mm-hmm. regardless of the cancer, just as a, a human trying to be healthy mm-hmm. and prevent future chronic disease yeah. and feel good, you know? Yeah. So, um, I can say that I would not have really changed the story, but okay. it's definitely, no, that's, it's that's definitely a valid question for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. Um, wow. I'm, I'm like, still just like taking that, this all in it's, it's a it's really a <laughs> interesting story that you have. And, so you, um, you've decided to remain flat. Yes. Okay. Yes. And how, and how do you feel about that? Like, it's interesting. Um, it's, it's an adjustment to have a new, a new body that mm-hmm. looks different. Um, mm-hmm. I've had to, you know, change some of the way I dress, you know, some mm-hmm. of the clothes that I used to wear, I've had to consign them and look mm-hmm. for some new styles of, um, clothes, which, you know, mm-hmm. is that's not ideal. Cause I have a certain way that I like to dress. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, you know, somewhat, you know, strangely liberating not to have to worry about a bra. <laughs> right. Know? Right. I mean, you know, that's so- a hot and sticky bra in the summer. I mean, yeah. I do have a, um, a bra that I bought online from a company that's, I forget the name of it, but they have like, you know, padded inserts in the bra. So I have a bra that I can wear if I have, if I want to wear a dress that I'd worn before uh-huh. to give me a little bit more shape, I have an option. So it's, it's kind of like, I do have an option, you know, but I, mm-hmm. I normally just, um, don't wear any kind of, you know, padding. I just kind of, here I am. <laughs> and no, you haven't ever explored like the prosthetic, the breast. Oh no. You mean the things that go in the bra? Yeah. Like the chicken, the chicken oh, color type no. thing. That, well, uh, the bra that I bought has like, um, little slots to insert a foam pad, mm-hmm. uh-huh. but it's not the same like chicken cutlet thing that I think you're thinking about. Cause yeah. a friend of mine showed me hers and I was, cause, cause I wanted to see for myself what was out there. And she herself, she's like, these are so hot and uncomfortable. I barely even wear them. That's what I've heard. I mean, I, yeah, I have one, I had a mastectomy and on the right side and I have, they did an immediate reconstruction and it is really interesting. Just like, I mean, you talk about not having to wear a bra. I mean, I don't know if it was like this when you had your implants, but I'm like, Oh, if I had two (laughs) implants, I wouldn't really need to wear a bra. Like they don't bounce the same way. and it's kind right. of like, that's kind of nice, uh-huh. <laughs> but, um, but I haven't had the surgery on the left side and I don't really know if I'm going to, to be honest with you. Honest. Yeah. It's like just matching, um, the, the plastic surgeon was like, well, you you're trading symmetry for scars. If you do this. And I, I had it scheduled and then I, some life changes happened. So I, I delayed it and I haven't, uh, picked that back up again, but, um, Wow. Yeah. So, so getting back to your, your story, I mean, how are you feeling now? Excellent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I recovered really quickly. Um, I'm really into, um, fitness exercise, weightlifting. Um, mm-hmm. I would say right now, um, I'm as strong as I was before, mm-hmm. maybe stronger just cause I I've started pushing myself a little bit more in the past two months mm-hmm. with my strength training. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, no physical consequences at all, other than just a kind of a, gnar- a couple gnarly scars. Uh-huh. Right, <laughs> you know, right. But, um, but I am going to my surgeon next week to see about um, some. I don't know if I'll have a revision. There's some loose skin. Mm-hmm. I just kind of want to g- get her opinion on if there's a way to make it aesthetically nicer looking. But mm-hmm. if there isn't, no big deal. I just kind of want to see if there's a possibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Exploring that option. You know, I've, I've talked on the podcast before. It's kind of an issue. I feel like it's important about just reclaiming your, your sexuality. And, you know, it sounds like you have a, a wonderful husband and, um, yeah. you know, just being able to feel safe and, and sensual, I think in this new body and exploring like this, 
I mean, you lose an erogenous zone when you right. lose, a, right. lose your breasts. And so, you know, rediscovering that. And, um, I, I applaud women who decide to go, just go flat. I think that's really cool. And I also think we don't get that option a lot when you talk, like when you opted for that and you told them that you didn't want to have the reconstruction, did the doctors push back on that with you at all? The no, surgeons? Not at all. In fact, I heard from several um, other women that they were never even given the option Yeah. Um, or, you know, stories of pushback, but um, I kind of went in knowing mm-hmm. um, what I was going to do. So um, they were really like, my surgeon was really cool about it. She said, you know, there's a trend for um, younger women to opt for being flat. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm almost 52. <laughs> I'm younger. And she's, you know, maybe 60. So in her eyes, I guess I was younger, but it, it, there is a trend. And I see it on social media because I follow quite a few accounts for women who are um, flat. Um, mm-hmm. And they, quite a few of them are in their twenties and thirties. I mean, mm-hmm. unfortunately they were getting cancer at such a young age, but you know, they, they opted for flat, which I honestly mm-hmm. don't think I would have done mm-hmm. at a younger age. You know, mm-hmm. I think it, it being my age gave me the, the confidence to, you know, take that option more easily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I'm seeing that a lot too. And uh, I think it's great that, that people are exploring that or kind of finding power in it because I know you said you didn't have any symptoms of breast implant illness, but that is something that we're looking at. And, and, you know, a lot of with like so much autoimmune disease and, and stuff like that, I think there's just having that option or discussing that and looking at the risks, but also f- to feel confident and to make it normal and okay, I think is really powerful. So it's nice to see that happening in the young breast cancer community as well. I mean, I, yeah, I didn't even, I didn't really look, I think I thought about it for a second, (laughs) but I really was like, you know, I really think I want some shape there. And I do have some fear around it because of, you know, what I know about breast, breast implant illness and being somebody who does have uh, you know, a history of autoimmune disease. So I was like, oh, they didn't talk about that with me, but Anyway, so, you know, to kind of transition a little bit, so you are a holistic sleep coach. Yes. Tell, uh-huh. t- tell yeah. us, I mean, what is that? <laughs> yeah. Well, my approach to sleep coaching is really looking at the whole person. So mm. I'm, I'm working with a lot of women who either are on sleep medications or um, over the counter and they want to not use them anymore. So I help them Mm -hmm. with, with the support of their physician, of course, Mm -hmm. um, get weaned off or other women who might be considering sleeping pill, but they don't want to go that direction. So Mm -hmm. that is kind of a a niche that I have as far as, um, clients that I see, but, um, I began. So my background was, um, way before the breast cancer, I did have insomnia, um, Mm -hmm. for several years. I was taking Ambien um, mm-hmm. for about eight years and it really ha- had some pretty unpleasant consequences. Uh, just mm-hmm. a couple of them being, I was extremely groggy in the morning. Like mm-hmm. I just was un- unable to focus. I also um, had episodes where I would binge eat at night and oh, wow. I didn't, I wasn't really cognizant. I mean, I wasn't fully cognizant of doing it. Um, and that was not good because uh, <laughs> when you're, I mean, <laughs> Now knowing more about sleep, when you eat like carbs and sweets right up against bedtime, like it wrecks your sleep. Like, so it was basically a disaster. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so what ended up happening to get me off those pills was I met my current husband and he noticed that I would take these pills um, and I didn't really make a big deal of it because I was so used to taking them for so many years, but he was like, you kind of act like a zombie after you take it. It's like, you're a different person. It's kind of scary. I was like, oh yeah, well, it's probably not a good idea that I take these. So I decided to titrate off the the pills. So I took a Mm -hmm. a pill cutter and just split the pills in half and then by force. So I did it completely unsupervised. I, Mm -hmm. I don't recommend that people do that. I feel like, um, people should consult with their 
prescribing doctor as far mm-hmm. as like, you know, getting the titration schedule down. Um, but ultimately I stopped and was, you know, a, a decent sleeper for many years, you know, not mm-hmm. great, but you know, okay. And then um, when the pandemic hit in March, 2020, my sleep started to take a, a nosedive again. And I really wanted to prevent a full-on insomnia um, situation. So sure. I bought an aura ring. Um, I saw your aura. Yeah. We're, we're on video. Yes. Just, um, no, we can, yeah. So just imagine the aura ring on my finger. And <laughs> I, I was using that aura ring to do some experiments and really just, I got really focused on uh, good sleep hygiene and, mm-hmm. and as I began to see results and get out of that funk of, you know, you know, almost having insomnia, I started sharing them on um, Facebook and Instagram and people were like, that's cool. You know, people seemed interested because other people were struggling with their sleep as well. And then several months later, I had this revelation that I needed to um, really help women on a larger scale. Mm-hmm. And that's what propelled me into the decision to become a sleep coach. So mm-hmm. I went to um, get certified in health coaching mm-hmm. and then got a couple of other sleep science certificates and just um, I'm a voracious, voracious consumer of all things sleep. Yeah. So I'm constantly learning and um, really enjoying the process of helping these women. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the women tend to be midlife women, because I am, you kind of attract what you, um, what you are. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I do have some people, you know, in their twenties up till like almost 70. So there Mm -hmm. is a broad, you know, broad range. So, um, so yeah, it's been, it's been really fulfilling and interesting. And so I've kind of found my, my thing. (laughs) Yeah, totally. No, I, I think it's, again, something that's not really talked about because my, I'm really fascinated with not only breast cancer survivorship, but also perimenopause, menopause, that kind of stuff. And it's super common for sleep issues to arise during that time in your life. So, um, yeah, we have a couple questions that are specific to the breast cancer community that I'd love to go over with you, um, because there is a lot of, stuff that goes on when you're in treatment or when you're on hormone therapy, but just kind of going back to the benefits, like why is sleep so important? Like what are the main benefits? Yeah. Well, if you look at the the three pillars of health, which are sleep Mm -hmm. movement and um, nutrition, um, I feel like in years past, the nutrition and movement have been prioritized and Mm -hmm. sleep has sort of been like the the pillar that is not as well talked about, but I think the tide is really turning. I think people are oh, giving yeah. a lot more attention to sleep. I'm just seeing a lot more articles about it and um, content, but just, just to go over a few of the main benefits of sleep, um, it helps with your immune function. It supports your brain function. You've probably, your, your, your listeners probably know what a lymphatic system. Well, we have our mm-hmm. own lymphatic system for the brain called our glymphatic system. So it's GL instead mm-hmm. of lymph. Um, and that basically clears the toxins from your brain while you sleep. It's, mm. a, it's a fascinating process. Um, sleep also helps with our mental well-being and our ability to manage stress, reduces our inflammation, keeps our hormones in check, not just Absolutely. the melatonin, yes. but we're talking about serotonin and estrogen, cortisol, progesterone, thyroid. I mean, the gamut. And it also helps us maintain a healthy body weight. Yeah. So. I mean, honestly, <laughs> when, when clients are having problems with sleep, it's almost impossible to adhere to a, a nutrition. Like it's because as I'm sure you're very well aware if you're not sleeping, like your, your sugar cravings go, it's really hard. Like I noticed that very intensely. If I, I mean, I'm vigilant about sleep. I don't have kids, so it's a little bit easier for me to, you know, my sleep is kind of on my own schedule, but if I don't get a good night's sleep, it's like, I get cravings. I want to eat bad food. Like, well, not, oh yeah, you know, there's no yeah. bad food, but I want to eat sugary foods. Um, yeah. all the things that are going to put me on that blood sugar roller coaster. It's just, it's just difficult. So yeah, I think I'm glad to know that you're seeing a trend because I think it's 
like to me, stress management and sleep, if those things aren't being handled, if, if those are really out of whack, you're going to have such a hard time taking exactly. care of any other area of your health yeah. or adhering to any kind of healthy protocol. Yes. So, um, okay. So those are the, the benefits of sleep and, you know, with breast cancer specifically, like, what do you, what are some of the issues that tend to come up for women, like in terms of sleep disruption for women with breast yeah. cancer? So some of the um, issues that come up are um, stress and anxiety. So mm-hmm. that causes a lot of sleep disruption from the get-go, because yeah. if you think about, I mean, just reflecting back on my own personal situation, after the diagnosis, I spent a lot of time in bed, worrying, waking up in the middle of the night, wondering which treatment modality am I going to choose? Yeah. So, uh, and other women could be worrying about the same thing or who's going to, um, you know, care for my kids when I'm, you know, not feeling well from treatment. There's so many yeah. different, um, avenues of worry that can happen. Um, so, uh, also women are noticing or could notice changes to their sleep pattern. So mm-hmm. for example, um, your sleep pattern could change. Like if you're getting chemo or something like that, mm-hmm. um, you might've you might been used to getting naps during the day and you're not getting those anymore. There's also changes to your daily routine. So mm-hmm. um, if you have been diagnosed, it could affect um, what you're doing every day. So for example, you could have stopped working during your treatment. Mm-hmm. And because you, you're not working, you don't have to actually get up at a specific time in the morning. Yeah. And so you're, you're not, you're not really beholden to a schedule, which throws off your circadian rhythm somewhat. Um, you might not be exercising as regularly. So that mm-hmm. happens. Um, also so, some of the side effects from treatment can interfere with your sleep. For example, mm-hmm. the, um, the hormone therapies, those can mm-hmm. really do a number with hot flashes and that will disrupt your sleep for sure. So those are just yeah. you know uh, some of the ways that sleep rep- disruption can can impact women. And how many women with breast cancer typically deal with sleep issues, do you think? Well, according to the studies that I've looked at, it looks like between 20 and 70% of women with breast cancer complain about bad sleep. Whoa. Yeah. And they did. A, <laughs> that's a big range. Yeah, that's a lot. And I was looking back at a, a study from, it's a little bit older, but I think the results would still ring true today. Um, 2001 study looked at 300 non-metastatic women with breast cancer, and they found that 19% met diagnostic cr- criteria for insomnia. Wow. Um, so it's, yeah, it's quite a, quite a big issue that I'm not sure is talked about it, it, as it should be. And so if you're having trouble, I mean, clearly for, for all the same reasons why getting good sleep is important for any person, I mean, what, I guess, like, what are some of the benefits that getting good sleep has if you are in treatment? Like, why is it so important? Yeah. Well, it really, uh, getting that good sleep can really affect how a woman recovers and responds to her treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, so for poor sleep actually has been um, connected to higher levels of pain. It can oh. be associated with longer hospital stays and also a greater chance of complications um, in women undergoing surgery. So wow. you really need to hone in on those sleep practices, you know, right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, another study, this is interesting, found that sleep that was misaligned with circadian rhythms mm-hmm. were tied to a faster reoccurrence of breast cancer after their initial treatment. Oh, so just to explain what misalignment with circadian rhythm means uh-huh. that would, that would translate into a woman maybe being, um, somebody who's naturally like a quote night person mm-hmm. who is perhaps going to bed too early and lying there frustrated because she's not really designed to go to sleep until midnight. Uh-huh. She's in bed at, at nine o'clock, you know, worrying because she can't get to sleep. Well, her body isn't really designed to sleep until midnight oh. or converse. The opposite could be true mm-hmm. uh, for people who have, um, who are, who are morning people mm-hmm. and they, you know, they shouldn't be staying up late, but they are. And so mm-hmm. if you can really hone into, um, synchronizing your circadian rhythm with, you know, just going with your natural biology. Um, that's important because you don't, you know, if you're 
if you have a chance of getting a, another rediagnosis, like mm-hmm. after the first, you know, after the first diagnosis, like really, tr- you know, obviously really try to hone in on the sleep practices. That's so interesting that you brought that up because I guess I've always been taught that, you know, the best sleep schedule is like 10 PM to 6 AM or like with the sun, you know, in the summer, kind of go to, go to bed a little bit later. Um, but so it's an individual, it's very individual. Would you well, say? for the, for the most part, that would ring true that, mm-hmm. that 10 to six schedule would ring true for a lot of people, mm-hmm. but there are people who are, um, outliers a little bit. And so mm-hmm. they, um, are much more like of a, much more of a morning lark or much more mm-hmm. of a night person. Mm-hmm. Um, they're strong, strong, uh, you know, night people, quote unquote, who really, um, don't, don't want to go to bed or feel like mm-hmm. they're even tired until like midnight. And so yeah. they do better really just, you know, midnight to, to seven or eight. And the problem with, you know, not the problem, but the challenge for those people who are very much on the night out spectrum is that society is not designed for them mm-hmm. because we are a society of early morning meetings, <laughs> um, yeah. early, early engagements. And so they, they suffer out of, you know, out of all the different chronotypes, they suffer the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it's now that I am my own boss, it's funny because my sleep schedule is shifting a little bit with the, I think it has to do with the sun. Cause I, I was used usually like a 10 to six person and now I'm going to bed later and getting up later and I'm kind of discombobulated. <laughs> and so I was like, Oh, I'm excited to talk to Morgan because this is, this is weird. But, um, yeah, I wonder if it's, maybe just an adjustment period, but so, so what are some strategies to improve sleep if you're having difficulty? Yeah, there are a lot of them. So (laughs) one of them is try to get some regular exercise during the Mm day. Um, I prefer morning. A lot of the studies are showing morning is better for sleep, Yeah, but, um, if that's not feasible for you, you know, afternoon is fine. I think the main thing is just really trying to curb exercise in the, in the few hours before bed, you know, Mm -hmm. cut your exercise off, especially like vigorous exercise. Mm -hmm. Um, you could do like a, you could do stretching or light yoga, you know, Mm -hmm. a couple hours before bed without any, you know, negative consequences. Um, also we really want to look out for, um, our caffeine consumption. Yeah. And I recommend really looking at a caffeine curfew. Mm -hmm. So, um, people may not realize that caffeine has a quarter life of 10 to 12 hours. Mm -hmm. So if you have a cup of coffee, like at two in the afternoon, which is not uncommon, that coffee could still be in your system by the time you go to bed. Oh, for Um, sure. And so there is actually an app called the I think it's called the caffeine app Mm -hmm. where you can input your uh, caffeine drinks. um, And then it'll tell you at what time they will be completely washed out of your system. Oh, that's interesting. So so for somebody who really does like, you know, that afternoon coffee, Mm -hmm. that would be something to to look at. Another beverage to um, think about is alcohol. This is a Mm -hmm. big one. Yeah. Because a lot of people uh, use alcohol as a sleep aid. It's actually Mm -hmm. the most common sleep aid and it can help you get to sleep faster. But the problem is, is that it will fragment or disrupt your sleep overnight. And Mm -hmm. it also decreases the amount of REM sleep you get, which Mm -hmm. is a really critical stage of sleep for memory consolidation and emotional regulation. So I also suggest an alcohol curfew. Mm -hmm. So um, I would say even, you know, four to five hours before you go to bed. Mm -hmm. And I can say for sure that I have done lots of personal tests with my own (laughs) (laughs) alcohol consumption. Mm -hmm using my aura ring. And I will say that the the earlier, I mean, it's not uncommon for me to on Saturday afternoon, have a glass of wine at four Mm -hmm. because, you know, we go to dinner at, you know, six, five or Mm -hmm. six, by the time I get home, like, and go to bed at nine, like it's almost out of my system. Yeah. So it's, so really think in terms of, um, a happy hour versus a nightcap. Oh, that's you know, a good way going to, to have your, put your it. alcohol then, um, have it as early as you can, because your sleep is going to be better. Almost everybody I know over 40 
has has uh, women have sleep disruption when they drink, especially mm-hmm. if it's more than two drinks. You oh, know, yes. yeah, oh, like yes. later. Usually, it yeah, if yeah, totally. I, I see that more and more. It's very yeah. very common. Yeah, definitely. As we get older, mm-hmm. we're just not processing it as well. Another um, tip to improve sleep is to think about how you're napping. A lot of people like to nap. Mm. There is nothing wrong with napping. But if you are going to take a nap, mm-hmm. um, I would recommend doing it, you know, no later than two o'clock. Mm-hmm. So keep your naps on the earlier end of the day also, um, or the earlier part of the day. Also keep your naps to like 20 to 30 minutes. Because mm. if you go much longer, what happens is you actually could get disrupted from being in a sleep, you know, disrupted from a stage of sleep, which mm-hmm. makes you groggy and, ha- and gives you sleep inertia. So keeping the naps, you know, brief is really good. Um, the con- back to sort of what you said about your, your sleep schedule, you know, shifting some, mm-hmm. um, what I really recommend for people to really hone in on their sleep is have a consistent wake time and bedtime. Mm-hmm. Most specifically the wake time is very important because okay. that really, that anchors your circadian rhythm. And when you get up and this is true for every day of the week. Mm-hmm. So the, the whole idea of like sleeping in on the weekend mm-hmm. actually may, may backfire on people because what mm-hmm. it does is it creates a si- situation where you could get social jet lag. So for example, if you're social jet lag, yeah, That's interesting. I know it's kind of quite a term. So for example, if you are getting up at 6am on the weekdays for work, mm-hmm. and then you sleep till nine on the weekend, that's like a three hour time difference. It's like mm-hmm. you're traveling from coast to coast without the benefit of the actual travel. Oh. So what ends up happening, and I've experienced this in the past um, because I was very erratic with um, my schedules is I would often have a hard time getting sleep on Sunday night. Mm-hmm. And then I'd be really groggy on Monday, slightly groggy on Tuesday. I would recover by Wednesday only to do it again the next week. Oh, because you were sleeping in on the weekend. (laughs) Yes. Oh, wow. So if, yeah, if you can keep your wake time very consistent and you're going to bedtime consistent as well, that will work wonders. I mean, if, if on the weekend you want to give yourself an extra half hour, Mm -hmm. that's fine. But like that, that two hour plus swing, Mm -hmm. um, can, can affect you. So another interesting thing I see, and I'm just curious if you know what the cause of this is, but again, I notice for men and women in midlife, you know, all of my friends, none of us can sleep in anymore. Like, do you know, why does that happen as you get older? Or is that something you notice? Or is that normal? Well, it, it over, you know, the course of your life, as you get older, um, it's normal to have some changes in your sleep pattern mm-hmm. and we, we become a little bit more naturally like morning people mm-hmm. and getting up earlier. So that that's really not uncommon at all. Yeah. As we get older. I mean, I haven't, I don't think any, well, nobody's really complained about, or some people are like, Oh, I want to sleep in, you know, and, and they, there's like, I can't, but, um, yeah, my, my body's become a lot more consistent with like getting up at the same time, which I, as sounds like is not is a good thing. Yeah. But, it's a really um, good thing. and I don't mind it. I love being up in the morning. I think it's great. It's, it feel, I actually get upset or bummed out when I like sleep in, which is not that common, but, um, it just feels like I've lost uh-huh. time. Um, yeah. and I just enjoy morning energy a little bit more, but so, you know, if you are having insomnia, what are some of the main treatments that, that you can use beyond, you know, like the ambient? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's unfortunate because in our current um, system of doctors and their training in medical school, they're only getting about three hours of training in sleep science. Mm-hmm. And think about, I mean, we're sleep, sleep being one of the three pillars of health and mm-hmm. they're only getting three hours in medical school. It's just um, honestly kind of preposterous to me, right? Um, you know, and a lot of times their intake questions don't include asking about sleep. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of um, on the patient quite often to bring up sleep, their problems with sleep. And what we're finding is that a lot of patients are 
uh, I guess, embarrassed to talk about their sleep problems. And so hmm. they don't, they don't get addressed because the doctor doesn't ask or the, the patient doesn't disclose. Mm-hmm. Um, but and a typical example that I see in my practice is that a woman, you know, in her forties, fifties comes in, she's having problems sleeping. Doctor offers her a prescription for Ambien, mm-hmm. um, and doesn't really give a plan on how to, um, get off it. So mm-hmm. really sleep, sleep medications are really only meant for short-term use. They, mm-hmm. they're not meant for long-term use. Um, yet doctors do give them out as if they are going to be a continued medication. Like someone, someone might take their blood medic, blood pressure medication. Mm-hmm. Um, so what actually is more effective than sleeping pills for insomnia is something called CBTI cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. Okay. And that has been recognized actually as first line therapy by the American Academy of sleep medicine and other major medical groups. The problem is, is that from a doctor's perspective, think about how busy they are with a primary care practice. Um, mm-hmm. They're, you know, several patients an hour. They don't, it's easier to write a prescription. It just yeah. is. They don't have to, to think too hard about it. They just write a prescription. They don't really know um, about CBTI. They're not trained on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they often don't really know who to refer to for CBTI, even if they mm-hmm. know about it. So there is, there's a lot of work to be done on that mm-hmm. front as far as um, getting doctors, you know, more education on sleep science and how to, to manage patients with insomnia. That's so, so what exactly, I mean, I know what cognitive behavioral, I have a concept of what cognitive behavioral therapy is, um, but then what, how, how does that, like, how does that work? Is that something where you're talking through and, and modifying behavior? Well, when you think about cognitive behavioral therapy, it's actually right. more behavioral than cognitive, to be honest. Say, yeah. And there are a couple of main um, practices that are done in CBTI. And one is called stimulus control. Mm-hmm. And that is basically when you are up at night, tossing and turning in bed, it's 2am. Instead of lying there frustrated, because you're not sleeping, the whole principle with stimulus control is to get out of bed, go to another room, mm-hmm. do something calm, you know, relaxing, like read or knit. Mm -hmm. Um, until you get tired again, and then you go back Mm -hmm. to bed. Mm -hmm. So, um, you are, you're basically trying to disassociate that connection between bed and, and anxiousness. You're trying to associate, you're trying to make a new connection between bedtime and sleep. Right. Yes. So that's the, that's one of the main premises. The other main premise of CBTI is something called sleep restriction, which sounds horrible. Um, and I like to call it sleep compression or bed restriction. Um, essentially what you're doing there is you're trying to compress the time that you're asleep. So Mm -hmm. a lot of times people with insomnia will go to bed way earlier than they really should, because they're trying to grab that sleep. They're trying to get that sleep while they think they can. So they'll Mm -hmm. go to bed too early, Mm -hmm. like at nine, but they're not tired yet. They're Mm -hmm. not sleepy. They're just fatigued. They're not sleepy. So what we try to do in these scenarios is we try to compress their window of sleep so that they're getting really, really quality sleep Mm -hmm. um, instead of a long period of time in bed with little Mm. sleep, we're trying to improve their sleep efficiency to like 85%. Oh, wow. So those are the main um, things with cognitive behavioral therapy. There are some, you know, cognitive practices like restructuring and reframing um, unhelpful thoughts. Mm -hmm. And there's also the component of education and and sleep health, or I don't, it's called sleep hygiene, but honestly, Mm -hmm. that I don't like that term very much because it implies like you're dirty. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So I, I kind of like the term sleep health or better sleep habits. Mm -hmm. So that's really kind of how CBTI works. Mm -hmm. And, you know, unfortunately, like a lot of doctors don't really know much about it. So Mm -hmm. they don't have that on their menu to offer the patient. Mm -hmm. And what would you say? I'm just curious 
because I know a lot of people who, I mean, like, what are some of the things that people are doing mistakes people are making right now that are disrupting their sleep that they might not know about? Like the, the late Instagram scroll or, you know, well, I would say kind of touching back on what we went through before is, um, really erratic, um, sleep in bedtimes, you know, wake and just like, they're all over the map. They don't Mm -hmm. have a schedule. Another mistake I see is people trying to look at sleep as an on-off switch. So basically they, Mm -hmm. um, they're go, go, go all day. Maybe they're working late. They come home, they get the kids ready for bed and then they, they try to go to bed, but they haven't given themselves like a runway to go to sleep They're, Mm -hmm. You know, like for example, a lot of parents, I mean, we're not, you and I are not parents, but a lot of your audience can mm-hmm. relate to this is that you, you have your nighttime routine set up for your child. You have mm-hmm. the reading, the bath, the mm-hmm. back rub, mm-hmm. um, because you know that your child needs that time to kind of get soothed Settle. before they go yeah. to bed. Yet moms sometimes forget to do this for themselves. Ah, that's such a so, good point. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's important to have some kind of wind down routine. And mm-hmm. I know it can be hard when you're busy, but if you can make it a practice to give yourself like a, an alarm, like a, an alarm goes off an hour mm-hmm. before you want to go to bed to remind you to, you know, put on your blue light blocking glasses, you know, mm-hmm. um, turn down the thermostat in your bedroom because you, you sleep better in a cooler room, you know, mm-hmm. things like that to kind of may, maybe take a bath if that relaxes you. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so that's another mistake. Um, there's an somebody- app on the iPhone for iPhone users in the health section. I have that set. It's like a bedtime reminder and it tells me yeah. an hour before. And that's usually when I'm like, okay, I'm going to get in bed and read and just yes. kind of chill out. Yeah. That's a great practice. It's it's nice. Yeah. I, I love to read. So it's, it, it's, I'm like, Ooh, I get to read. <laughs> Yeah. But sorry, go on. So other, um, you were oh, saying other, other problems I see, um, getting into bed before they're tired. I kind of mm. alluded to that earlier. So really it's better to wait till you are actually tired before you go to bed huh. instead of, um, you know, a lot of times people confuse being fatigued with tired, with sleepy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So fatigue is like, you know, you just kind of feel, run down a little bit, you mm-hmm. know, you're just your body feels tired, but sleepy is when you start yawning and your eyes start to kind of drop. Mm-hmm. That is really like, that's a great, like when you're feeling that you're moving into that territory of being sleepy, mm-hmm. is a, that's a really good time to, to get into bed. So is it bad for me to go to bed before I'm really sleepy to read? Like, should I be reading out of bed? Well, no, since you don't really have sleep problems, what you're doing seems to be working fine. And it's really, um, it's kind of a case by case basis. Sometimes I advise people to read outside of their bedroom. Mm -hmm. Um, because you know, the, the bed, I mean, I know tons of people read in bed and it's totally fine if you don't have a sleep problem, but Mm -hmm. if you do have like a serious sleep problem or insomnia, we really do really try to recommend the bed is for sleep and sex only, Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. which brings me back to a a big problem. I see a lot (laughs) people working in their bed. Oh yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah, That can be really disruptive because work can often be associated with something stressful. Totally. So again, you don't want to associate anything stressful with your bed. You Mm -hmm. want to break that connection. So working in a, you know, outside of your bedroom is really important even if you don't have sleep problems. I bet that's something that really started happening a lot during the lockdown. Yes. Yeah. It's like such a joke now. I mean, like, like this is my office, like kind of thing, you know, cause everybody was living in their pajamas right, (laughs) for for a year. (laughs) Um, wow. Well, that's, that's good to know. So, okay. We're, we're moving out of this, get out of your bed. Yeah. It's reserve your bed. That makes a lot of sense to keep that that space sacred, you know? Yes. And just, yeah. So that you're not associating anything else with it. Um, yeah, these are all really good, Yeah, really good tips. Um, so how can, you know, if somebody wants or needs sleep coaching, like how can they find you? 
And well, I'll put all my, this in the show notes. Yeah. Thanks for asking. My mm-hmm. website is morganadamswellness.com. Mm-hmm. And I'm also quite active on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And my handle there is morganadams.wellness. Mm-hmm. So I offer a lot of sleep tips and sleep content on Instagram. So yes. you can find me on either place. Awesome. And so, so you're taking, you do like one-on-one work, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. So I have a, I've, I have one package that I offer right now. It's called my sleep makeover mm-hmm. and it is a, an eight week one-to-one coaching program that's done on zoom. So mm-hmm. we meet weekly and I also offer um, contact with me throughout the week via mm-hmm. an app, a messaging app so that people get support throughout the whole process. So, Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Wow. That's really yeah. nice to have access to you like that. So, you know, as we're kind of wrapping up, is there, are there any sort of little last tidbits of information you want to share? We covered a lot of ground. I think this is so helpful. Well, I want to end on, um, offering a quote. Okay. Um, I love sleep quotes. Uh Like I collect them, but I found one recently that I've been sharing on other podcasts that I think nails it. Okay. So Uh here it is. If you disrupt sleep, you disrupt function everywhere. But if you can have, if you can improve sleep, you might have a chance of improving everything. Isn't that powerful? And I I have to credit Bryce Mander, who is the assistant professor at university of California where you're living. So I have to give credit to that person who made that quote, but I think that really summarizes, you know, what we've been talking about. For sure. Yeah. And, and like, like we talked about earlier, I mean, as what I've seen, especially with women who have younger children, you know, in, in my own practice, as I kind of tell them that first, I'm like, we have to get the sleep thing. Like you like make that your number one priority. And sometimes, you know, I mean, I'm not a sleep expert. So, you know, the fact I I've never even heard of a sleep coach before. So I was really excited when I met you, I was like, immediately was like, you gotta be on the podcast because I think it's like you said, it's just such a, um, foundational element of health and, uh, it can really change everything about your life. I mean, you feel like a new person when you, you when you get good sleep, yeah, oh, like your it, mood and everything changes. Absolutely. The day goes much better if you're well slept for sure. <laughs> yes, totally. Totally. So yeah. I mean, if, if you're having sleep problems, I would absolutely encourage you to reach out to Morgan and, you know, get that, get that taken care of. I mean, using these, you gave us a lot of great tips, but, um, you know, if, if you need more support, what a wonderful way to, to get it through just like a one-on-one coach. So, um, thank you so much for being here, Morgan. I'm going to put all this stuff in the, uh, show notes and, um, I'll also maybe put that caffeine app, uh, yeah. like a link to that. Cause I think that's interesting. I mean, I know some people are fast metabolizers of caffeine. Like I had some genetic testing done and I am, but I still have to cut off. I mean, I, I really, try not to ever have caffeine after noon. Um, but yeah, yeah. And, and I really cut my caffeine even in the morning. So, um, well, I, I think this has been such an awesome episode. I can't wait to, to, yeah, to air it. And I appreciate you sharing your really interesting story. I think that's one of the coolest stories we've had on here, a very unique. Yes. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to share what I know with you. Thank you so much. Well, there you have it. How crazy are those stories about her diagnosis and everything? Um, I really appreciate Morgan being so honest and open and willing to share some kind of unconventional experiences that she had. I think uh, it's important that people hear those types of stories. So I'm going to go ahead and start wrapping this up. (laughs) Um, Before I do that, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to anybody that's listening in the Netherlands, um, my the podcast just charted for the first time in the Netherlands. And I have no idea who's listening out there, but I love the Netherlands. So um, thank you so much. I would say that in Dutch if I knew how, and I probably could have Googled it, but um, I'm saying it now. Clearly you speak English uh, and just, I appreciate the support to whoever is listening 
and uh, anybody in the States that's listening, find me on Instagram or Facebook at Junie B. Well, and go to, you can go to my website, juniebewell.com. Get that Tamoxifen Facts and Feelings workbook if you are struggling with it and if you need any kind of support, I'm really shifting my focus in my practice to support women who are either not taking tamoxifen because they don't tolerate it or who are taking tamoxifen and dealing with the side effects and you know kind of having a hard go at it so let me know if you need support i'd be happy to set up a free consult with you and talk it over but otherwise i will be back in two weeks with another episode and i just can't wait to talk to you guys again because this is sort of my favorite thing ever (laughs) okay talk to you soon and i'm wishing you well bye-bye